Hello, and welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm your host, Siri Vincent Clough, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the show where I explore heathenry through a queer lens. We will be talking about traditional witchcraft, runes, folklore, and so much more. Join us, won't you, as we journey to the ends of the Nine Realms and back. Hello, hello. It has been a while. I am coming out of hibernation with news and a very exciting bonus episode. I'm so thrilled to be sharing this conversation with Aiden Wachter Wachter with you um, about one of my favorite subjects, black books and personal grimoiring. But first, I want to share some things with you about what I've been up to in the podcast hiatus. Um, So I took a hiatus from my Patreon and from creating this podcast to refocus my own creative flow, and I'm really excited with the direction I'm moving in. First things first, this podcast isn't going anywhere. In fact, I think it's going to get a lot better. I'm just retooling what I focus on in this podcast. So to that end, I'm actually conducting my first ever listener survey. This will help me figure out what kind of content you all are most interested in and help me focus more deeply on the podcast. I have so many good ideas, and you all are also already giving me so many good ideas. Um, So I've included a link to the survey in the show notes. There are several changes I've already decided on. I know from here on out, I will be operating on a seasonal basis. Each season, I will dive deep into a different aspect of heathenry and magical practice. This fall season is centered around the second eight of the Elder Futhark through the lens of an underworld journey. I'll be talking about the runes and storytelling, and I'll even dive deep into some deities or other spirits that are related to whatever rune or natural force I'm talking about. I also plan on having guests on the podcast who specialize in underworld workings and working with underworld deities and spirits. Um, Or, you know, they might also work on other themes that are drawn from this second eight of runes. So the this second season of the Heathen's Journey podcast will start up in just a few weeks and will run through the fall. Then I'll take a couple of months to write the next season and we'll be off and running again. But now let's focus on today's episode. In this conversation, Aiden and I talk about personal grimoiring, his black book method from Weaving Fate, and building your magical practice. Aiden Walker has been actively involved in magical practice since the 1980s. His work reflects a wide-ranging, eclectic, and non-dogmatic approach with influences from many paths, including witchcraft, folk magic, and chaos magic. His books focus on the practice of the craft as a learnable set of skills that can be developed rather than the innate talents that might be inherited or granted to the seeker. They are field field guides rather than a philosophy. If you do not know Aiden's work already, I encourage you to check it out. His most recent book is Changeling, a book of qualities, and you can purchase it and his other works on his author page at Amazon. I've included a link to do that in the show notes. If you have not read his books, I encourage you to just go ahead, do that right now. 
If you find this conversation interesting, I encourage you to join me for my talk at the Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival. Of course, this kind of depends on whether you're listening to this podcast as it's coming out or later, but if you um, do happen to hear this podcast before August 6th, um, then you will still have time to sign up. I will be presenting Personal Grimoiring and the Swedish Black Books Tradition. Through making art, we create the sacred, and through recording our magic, we tell true lies. There are many rich traditions of grimoiring and keeping magical records, and for good reason. Your magical record is one of the most vital aspects of magical learning. Through keeping a magical record, you're able to see what worked, track your progress, and learn how to live in the rhythm with the world around you. In this workshop, um, I talk about the magical record keeping within the Swedish Black Books or Svartkonstböcker tradition. And I will also share techniques to awaken your own Black Book and make it a true conspirator in your magical practice. Um, if you do decide to come, please bring your own grimoire for a guided consecration ritual. I encourage you to register not just for my class, but for the full weekend because there are some really amazing courses being offered. It is truly an honor to be among these incredible teachers. And honestly, it's such an honor to have even been able to speak with Aiden. Um, I think that you'll find this conversation to be very juicy and helpful as you are establishing your own magical practice. And now, let's get to that conversation. Hello, Aiden. Welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Siri. I'm really excited to get to chat with you. Yeah. Um, okay, so before we get really into the deep stuff, I have a question to ask you. Sure. And that is because I've taken so many years of German and Germanic languages that whenever I see your name, I think it's uh, I think you're supposed to pronounce it Wachter. Right. I pronounce it Wachter. That's the Okay. <laughs> okay. I was in a I was in a I think my Patreon we were doing a book club of um either Six Ways or Weaving Fate and I said, "Oh yes, and I love when Wachter." <laughs> <laughs> Everybody it's, just it's, like, it's, it's been many things throughout time, I'm sure. So <laughs> I, I yeah. take whatever, I take whatever gets used. Um, so I've given listeners a brief uh, kind of introduction to you before the episode started officially, but <laughs> in your own words, who are you? What do you do? I, um, I am a magical practitioner who's been at it for a long time, since the 80s. Um, I used to be a talismanic jeweler, um, and I would say that I'm kind of a, I guess I'm a, I think of myself as being very much a student of whatever it is that I do. I'm not sure what I really call it. As you know, I kind of make up names periodically. Um, but yeah, to me, I'm uh, just someone that has found some things that were really useful to me um that I try to share in the hope that they might be useful to other people who are interested in this magic thing. Yeah. Um I actually really adore your approach um to sharing about magical techniques. It feels very down to earth and at the same time like I like how much kind of of the theory of what you're doing you get into. Um and it's less a recipe for 
taking an action and more like, hey, like, this is what I'm doing when I do this. Right. That was the thing. That's That was the thing that I always found missing when I started uh, is I found a lot of, you should see this. This is what this does kind of instructions or visualize this just like this. Um, and you should think about this this way. And I couldn't really find anybody. Most of the time I didn't find people that were talking about this is kind of the practice. And this is what I think maybe it does. And this is maybe why I think it works. Um, which to me is a much more open approach because I'm interested in, I guess I just have that base level belief that everything is going to be context driven. And so if I can share the why behind what I do something, even if that's not the same thing that you end up wanting to do or that you find most effective, um, it kind of, the goal was to kind of get people into my head and then maybe start sharing their heads a little bit about what they saw rather than trying to fit it into the mold of this is what you're supposed to see, or this is how it's supposed to work. Uh, and so most of everything that I have kind of worked out has been based on that. It's like a lot of early, a lot of the early work that I did was really just, okay, this is supposed to do this thing. But that's not what I find. Uh, and so what does it do and why does it do that? Yeah, I have, I personally have a really hard time with absolutes and magic. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like we're doing this beautiful, liminal, weird, sometimes very subtle thing. And, you know, when, oh, like this thing always means this. Um, if I see that in a book, I'm like, does it though? I don't mm -hmm. think that's, I don't think that anything always means one thing or another. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and I also think that, um, you have to, um, you have to think about these things on this level in order to be a really effective practitioner, right? right. You know, like it's going to work better for you if you have set it up in a way in an internal system that makes sense for you. Right. And I think that it's also, I think one of the things that's kind of interesting is I think magic is really revelatory. Um, about us and about the world and all that stuff. And that can only really happen if you're really open to whatever comes through and go, oh, okay, I didn't like that. It's, I'm supposed to like this thing according to this ritual. <laughs> this was supposed to be a good experience. <laughs> and it wasn't. And uh, is that something that I did wrong? Or is it uh, just that maybe that's not a good mesh? Um, is it this is not the right time? Um, which is kind of an interesting thing to kind of with what we're, what we're, what we're thinking about today. Cause that's kind of, uh, as I was thinking about it, that's where my head went was a lot of that stuff of like, okay, there's a lot of, a lot of ways we think things are going to be and they don't necessarily go that way. And that's true in everything. So why wouldn't it be true in magic? Totally, totally. Um, so today we're actually going to be just really focusing down on a specific technique um, or a series of specific techniques that, you know, you can kind of adapt to your own making. And that is working with a personal grimoire or a magical book. Um, mm -hmm. So when I was recently reading um, Weaving Fate, um, mm -hmm. I read it for the first time over the winter. And 
I loved how you structured the, the black book, um, aspects of the section. So, um, can you give us a little, a a brief summary as brief as possible of Mm -hmm. the, um, the black book in the way that you work with it? And then we can kind of continue the conversation from there. Sure. So the black book is, uh, a form of what gets called a hyper sigil, which is a term that comes from Grant Morrison is he coined it, I believe in reference to his comic, the invisibles. Um, and the idea is that a hyper sigil is a, a long form narrative piece of magic. Uh, so some form of narrative that can be novel. It can be comic books. It can be music. It could be song. It could be dance. It could be paintings. Um, and for me, the thing that, I found worked the best for me because it was something that I already did, I think, uh, was journaling. Um, and so I eventually came to this thing where I began using a diary format uh, of hyper sigil, which is what I call the black book. Um, and yes, so it's a, on the top, it's a really simple, straightforward thing. And then it gets really fun, I think. So, Yeah. Um, so if you're creating a black book, um, the idea is that you basically set aside and consecrate a specific notebook that you're going to use for this working. And you are going to write journal entries as if things that you want to happen have already come to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So it's like a sort of, um, uh, it's, it's bringing that future closer to your present is kind of how I think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, yeah, it's, I think it's a super interesting thing. And so I would kind of, if we kind of um, think about magical books in general, right? So if we, all the magical books that we have now, if we're thinking historical, not so much in the modern age where we've really had a lot of access to them and uh, great volume that we do, at least in the West here with the internet and all that stuff, um, and Llewellyn and Wiser and all that stuff, big publishers that put out lots of stuff. Um, magical books were really notebooks that were created by magical people, right? Um, So that they would remember the things that worked or the things that they learned or came across and didn't want to forget. Um, And I know that you have an interest in the Northern stuff. Have you looked at the uh, Scandinavian black book tradition at all? Yes, a little bit. So it's, a guy that I knew well up until his death and not closely, uh, Tom Johnson, uh, has a really cool book that was his doctoral dissertation on the Swedish black books. And I can never remember, but Revelor Press has put it out as, I don't know how you pronounce it. You can pronounce it because I can't. Yes, I actually have the book in my hand right now because yeah. <laughs> as I'm recording this, I have my stack of research books and this is... <laughs> At the top of the pile, um, it is Svartkonstbukar. Right. So what Tom did was he was looking at a bunch of these, what they're called the Swedish black books. Um, and these were really little, for the most part, very little journals that people had kind of jotted down formulas or spells in. And I think it's a really good view, kind of that along with something like the Galdra book. Um, mm-hmm that these were usually pretty small things. These were not monstrous, you know, 400 page books. Nobody had that kind of money to buy that kind of blank book in general. Um, 
and they were really just ways of remembering what you did that worked. Uh, and, uh, you know, that book I love because it shows you how common day a lot of the work is. So it's like, how do you make your shotgun shoot straighter? You know, you, yeah. put, a skate, you put a skate's heart in the, in, in the barrel and then you shoot it. It's supposed to be great after that. The liver, I can't remember. but And so I think that there's this long history that once we were able to kind of record what we did, or even if it was images, uh, I think that magical folks began realizing that there was this connection be between the process of recording a piece of magic and that piece of magic itself. Um, and a lot of when I started, I'm going to play with my cat just a little bit and give her something to go chase. Go play with that. Um, uh, I tried to do the whole magical journal thing and I didn't find that it worked very well for me because I tore everything apart. Um, and I mostly used it to kind of convince myself that I wasn't doing effective magic. Mm. Um, so that's kind of an interesting little side thing. So I didn't come into this as like a heavy journal, magical journaler. I really kind of decided early on that that was not my thing. and I was not going to do it. Um, but what I think is kind of cool about these black books and about kind of what we would call a grimoires, which is really just kind of books of magic, said fancy, um, is that a lot of them were considered to themselves to be power objects. Like if you had a copy of one of these black books, or if you had a copy of the long lost friend for a, a you know, an American version, um, the thing itself was a power object and gave you powers, which is a really yeah. cool idea, I think. Um, yeah. Um, I remember when I've been doing my research into the Spark Const Booker, um, the, a huge part of it is also there's this, I haven't fully gone down this rabbit hole yet, but it is one that I plan on going down, but there is a, you know, kind of like a Catholic folk magic sort of aspect to it where um, all of these Swedish priests um, would be getting their training specifically at Wittenberg, which mm -hmm. was kind of this school um, where more magic was either taught or, um, accepted mm -hmm. so they would come back from these like from Wittenberg with these black books and um the black book itself would be their talisman mm -hmm. right you know they would have it would maybe contain spirits that they worked with or you know the, the sigils and the keys to communicating with those spirits um and there's all of this incredible folklore around um people attempting to use someone else's black book and mm -hmm. accidentally unleashing a devil on the town. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it, I, no, go ahead. I always, oh, no, it's okay. I always find that so interesting as like, we have these priests who are coming back with this book of spirits who often are devilish or demonic or whatever, but this, the priest is clearly, you know, able to work with them because they're mm -hmm. in the black book. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's really interesting because I think that that kind of opens up all those, like, uh, when I was kind of the, some of the earliest stuff that I found that was really just kind of cool. Cause it was not, 
I mean, the early grimoires that I saw that I can remember were, you know, the greater and lesser keys of Solomon and the grimoire of Armadel. Um, and then I knew some Anakian magicians pretty early on, so they had all their D-related stuff. Um, but I really liked these little things. It's, I know that I found the long-lost friend in a little hoodoo shop um, and then discovered that there are all these weird little books that were like, they were really not written like, like like a book that I would write or you would get published by a big publisher. There were these little weird little compendiums. Maybe it's got a couple of spells for, or a couple of seals from Solomon, or it may have a couple of things from the Golden Dawn, and then it may have, you know, how to make, you know, a floor wash with particular kind of more, much more hoodoo kind of based stuff. Um, and I loved that thinking about the fact that like I here I was hanging around with these kind of though I didn't really fit in these kind of uh, very academically minded, very hardcore scholarly ceremonial magicians. But there were all these other people with these kind of like, I don't know. I don't know how old you are. So I don't know if you remember the old stapled TV guides, uh, but <laughs> yes, were essentially <laughs> the quality of TV guide or a reader's digest, but you know, uh, they were, these were their books. And I was like, that's awesome. I love that. Um, yeah. Because it kind of showed that, like, there's this sense of power to these things. Uh, and I think that that's a, it's a really cool kind of route to the whole kind of world of books. And I think it's something that could be potentially kind of a little bit. Um, I think that that's probably faded a lot since there's so much more in print uh, now than there was. And then if I go back, do we go back to, like, what's in Tom's book? There was not much at all in print that any of those people would have seen that wasn't a Bible or a book of Psalms or something akin to that. Yeah. And then through that, you know, if the Bible is the only book that you have, then that it becomes doubly sacred. And, you know, maybe you're using that as a, a spell book in some way, you know, the book of Psalms, like, you mm -hmm. know, working magic in that way. Um I know I've, uh, I haven't done this level of research with primary documents yet, but I do know that there are a lot of just like family Bibles <laughs> that have, mm -hmm. you know, little notes written next to the Psalms of what people were using and why, um, or, you know, just like a grandma's note to self, plant garlic and this Psalm, <laughs> you know? Totally, totally. Um, yeah. It's interesting to um, being located here in Minnesota. Um, we have a lot of, we have way more Scandinavians than other parts of the country. Um, and uh, there's a university, um, St. Olaf in Northfield, which is about 40, a 40 minute drive from where I live, 40, 45. And they have one of the, one of the largest, if not the largest collection of black books, like mm -hmm. in one room in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because they would get handed down. So, right. you know, this is that precious book that, you know, people have all of this awe over and um, it has to be handled carefully. And, you know, maybe the um, they get handed through through the family until finally, you know, you're uh, cleaning up after grandma has passed away and you're in the attic and you find this crazy book 
of um, spells and sigils and stuff that is very old. And so a lot of people ended up donating them to this college um, for research purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really interesting. It's really cool. Being in a room with that kind of history is really fascinating to me. Um, there's a there's a not a not insignificant part of myself that is definitely a folklorist and academic at heart <laughs> that just mm-hmm. wants to, you know, accept donations of your like great grandparents' <laughs> weird diary. <laughs> totally. Please, you know, listeners, send me your weird almanacs. <laughs> it is really funny. I mean, it's. Uh, I was thinking a lot about. I was thinking about um, in, in relationship to, to talking was our this thing. So we've got like this kind of world of that stuff. We've got the black books. We've got these folk kind of compendiums, um, these personal compendiums. And then we switched to this thing where we started mass producing them, right? So we that's where you can go and get the Goetia or something like that online. And something switches. I don't think of myself as being old, but compared to some people, I'm older. Um, in the 80s, where I was, there was not a lot out there on magic. Um, but there were a few books you could get at kind of the mall where I was, like Starhawk's book when it came out was big enough that you could get that in my town. Um, and I got interested in Northern stuff because Ralph Bloom's book of runes came out, I think in 82. And that was in the mall because it wasn't really taken seriously. And in some senses, it probably shouldn't be. Um, so it was really good for me to find that book. It opened my eyes to a lot of different things. I just don't think it's a great book on runes. Um, so at that point, you kind of had to really be willing to play unless you were like somewhere around a really good bookstore or around somebody else who practiced. Um, and so I would look at something like I would find, I remember I found Armadale somewhere in a used bookstore and I didn't, there was some part of me that couldn't connect like these instructions are really instructions. <laughs> so I was really young, right? <laughs> like and this is, seems crazy to say, but there was stuff like, and I remember this when I read book four by Crowley, cause I was also really young. It was like, it didn't connect for a while that he's like really suggesting that I do all these things in the order that he's like, even though it's clearly a recipe book, right? He's telling me this. Um, there was a part of me that didn't initially get that. Like I was reading it to understand it, right? Right. (laughs) And why I think this is really interesting is this is a phase that I think a ton of people do regardless of how much information is there. And this is one of the things that's really different about going and buying a dozen books on magic and learning a spell either from your teacher or because you worked it up and writing it down in a book. Because that thing you know on some level, or you were able to ask somebody about it, and they said, yeah, this one. If you're having trouble with that, this one is the thing. That might be the only thing that that person or you ever uses for that thing, right? Right. Um, this is what you do when the cow is being having a troubled pregnancy, right? And you've read this. If you look at the folk magic stuff, people may be like, yeah. what? You go, this is a lot of what is in these books, really. It's like, yep. what do you do when the cow is having a troubled pregnancy? Or the crops are going to fail or yeah, you've got fungus and you've got fungus in the wheat. Um, This is really a big deal uh, in a lot of these older books. Um, And so it's really interesting because then again, you look at that and you go, if you have one 
ritual or spell or seal that is the key to that thing, you have imbued this thing with an incredible amount of power because it's the only way, right? Uh, this is the way you help that cow out. Or this is the way you walk down your property. We see this in some hoodoo stuff too. That There's stuff that is pretty universal all over the country. That there's particular things you do. And one could say that this is because it's the best way, but it may just simply be that it's a good enough way and enough people were taught it as the way. Uh, so same difference, right? Um, and so I think it's really interesting when we go to these mass-produced grimoires and things that now you've got people going like, okay, so do I use this spirit to help me get money or do I use this spirit from this other grimoire? And this grimoire is apparently really sketchy and hairy and dangerous. So that means it's more powerful, right? There's this whole chain or, or I should never touch it because it's scary and powerful. Uh, and these are bad spirits, right? There's all of this conversation that occurs in a way that probably, I'm sure some of it did in the past, but it comes, I think happens really interestingly now if you look at online discussions about this stuff. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think it's really fascinating because it's some of this stuff too. Like I did, um, so we'll just go back. So one of the books that I did have and that I really liked um, was I think it was a Dover Books edition of uh, uh, The Magus. And I can't remember whose book that was. Francis Barrett, I think. Um, that sounds and, right, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's right. And I didn't practice that way already. I'd already gotten to the place where I was like, I'm not a ceremonial magician. Um, but due to still using things like the LBRP, I kind of had a sense that I liked the archangels, that they liked me. And so I ended up doing talismanic work out of that book. Not at all how it's put in that book, but using the seals and had mm -hmm. really huge success and used those seals for, you know, exorcism work and different things very successfully. Um, and, uh, and it was super interesting because then we had some interesting hybrid stuff that I had people that I knew that I lived with that saw this. So they kind of did the same thing and they created these things. And for some people they worked and for some people they didn't. And the people that they worked for had been doing the LBRP. So they already had relationships with these energies. And at least when they created the talismans, were able to imbue the talisman perhaps with that. Maybe it's not really you know, Raphael's phone number that you got, it's that you actually know Raphael well enough that he's willing to answer that phone anyway, right? Which then mm -hmm. comes into that whole aspect, which I think is really where my thinking began changing about all this stuff. Is like, okay, maybe it's more relationship driven between the person and the material. Because I knew ceremonial magicians who were very deeply steeped in that, where they were very efficient and very effective. Um, I knew Wiccans who were very efficient and very effective. I knew hoodoo folks that were. And then I knew all these people who were really not uh, in all of those different places. And so I began thinking that it was more relational, right? And it was a combination of relation to, do you have connections to the material or do you have connections to the spirits? What I would now say, do you have connections to your allies? If you're working with them, they're your allies. As far as I, in my thinking, I'm not saying that's anything anybody should adopt. Um, 
which kind of then begins or began to me to again, as I looked more into the folk magic stuff and seeing things like the black books, I go, okay, so these were like allies to these people. Um, when they when they saw that this basically, you know, blank book of 30 pages or whatever was itself powerful, this thing itself is a, it has become like an allied spirit. Um, it was more than just the spells in it. Mm -hmm. um, which is, I think, something that you see a lot of folks who've been practicing for a good chunk of time trying to explain to people who are pretty new at magic is it's like that it is really relationship driven. Um, even if it's just relationship to the style of working you're doing, even if you're a hardcore, there's no spirits, there's no gods, there's none of that. If you have a relationship to a way of working that has worked for you, it develops more and more power. So you could even say that that way of working has become an ally to you, right? Yeah, and that's that's a really interesting point. So for example, um, I do not consider myself a Wiccan. Nothing wrong with being a Wiccan. It's just not what I do. Um, however, I was initiated into a Wiccan coven. And <laughs> so uh, way back in ye olde times when I was 15 or so. <laughs> so um, I picked up a lot of habits, um, you know, and got really efficient with them. Like I can throw up a Wiccan circle in very little time. And I've definitely known students who feel very intimidated by that practice um, mm -hmm. or by the amount of steps that are involved in it. Um, but once you explain to students, okay, well, what you're doing in these two steps is you're preparing the ground for the working um, and you are beginning to align your energy, you are balancing yourself. And then you know, when you're doing these aspects, you're, you know, calling in specific spirits or guides that you work with um, into a consecrated space and you're calling forth elements within yourself. And it's like, oh, okay. If I understand the why, the what becomes a lot simpler. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's absolutely, that's definitely something that when I'm reading, um, you know, more contemporary books on witchcraft, I feel as though, you know, when I started, um, there were all of these like grimoires or spell books that um, just had, you know, this is a spell for this thing. Um, and I feel like now authors are getting a little bit more, not even a little bit more, I would say that authors are getting much more nuanced in terms of why they're doing this particular kind of working or right. if you need to substitute things. Um, like, unless I'm studying, a, a published book as like a source work, mm -hmm. um, you know, like if I'm looking at a black book, um, or a transcription of a black book from the, uh, Svart Konstabuker, um, I don't, um, I don't take it at, you know, that level there's like there are steps that I know that I'm missing there's context that I know that mm -hmm. I'm missing because this was never intended to be seen by anyone else right and that's a, I think a really big thing there is realizing that it's kind of like um I was looking at the um yoga sutras the other day 
And one of the things that's interesting there is it's like what they talk about the, the sutras being like a suture, that it's like the smallest thread that would give somebody a mnemonic that knew how to teach that stuff. And so the sutra itself doesn't really contain much. It contains a little bit of the process, you know, and that's, that's a big part of what six ways was for me was like, how to, what the allies were really clear on is like, show people things that are useful, but show them why you use them and show them how you think about them when you use them. Um, Cause that's actually more important than the specific thing that you're doing. Uh, you know, at least as I view it. Cause I think that there's like a lot of, um, you know, universal is maybe the wrong word, but there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's way more to any practice that is learned from doing the practice rather than what you read on paper. Uh, you know, it's like, it's again, it would be somebody like trying to play like, you know, that had never heard it, really trying to play Jimi Hendrix, even if they mm. could play the music if they hadn't really had a, uh, all the instruction like okay this is a really weird way to use a guitar if you've never heard that kind of thing before you know um, but once you've kind of heard it and you can kind of go oh that's what it sounds like or you know in, in the case of magic and the way that I talk about it a lot is like if this is where my head is and this is what it feels like maybe that'll make it easier for someone to um step into the work and not be too worried about, oh, I missaid two words. Because mm. mm -hmm. I have never really found, unless they're really the wrong words, that that would be an issue. It's like, what's the conversation about? And what are you bringing to that conversation? What's your attitude to the conversation? Um, yeah, it was interesting. And so I was thinking about when we were talking to, or thinking about the books. And so we've ended up and we went through this world that you and I both talked about, which is like spell books that are like, gather these three things, put them in a bag, tie it up, say these words, light this candle, and that thing happens. And for most people, well, I guess it's missing all of the rest of the context, right? Um, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, and this is again, this is why I'm like so hardcore about the consecration thing. Cause to me, that's the thing that is the missing piece in a lot of people's stuff is like, no, put all your energy into that. Put all your yes. energy into how you're handling the material. Not that there's a right way, just that it's in your, what you're doing is really at the forefront of what you're doing, not this precision steps. Yes. However you are consecrating, whatever you are using for magical working is just as important as the actual magical working. And it is so easy. I'm guilty of this. It's so easy to just skip the consecration step. Yep. And you for know? me, I think that I, I got that from sigil magic, which was the, the idea of, okay, you create this thing and coming from like chaos magic days. Um, the idea was you would create this, this image from this statement of intent, and then you would charge it. And at some point, I just got really much more involved in the process of creating the sigils. And I realized I didn't have to charge them because the process of creating them charged them. Um, like, okay, what would I do that is more than what I just did for the last hour with this thing? Right. You know, I can 
formalize it in some way, but didn't I just do that? Didn't I just go through this whole process of having this idea in my head and doing this ritual process to turn it into this other shape? What, what else would need to happen? Um, and so I began not doing much else. Um, and it's very much the case for me now that the way that I create sigils is the charging. And I still have people write like, okay, I'm still not sure about the charging piece. And it's like, don't worry about it if it's working. If it's not working, then maybe add something. But if it's working, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I actually wanted to talk to you about that because I feel like there's this really beautiful harmony between, you know, consecrating the black book um, and it, when I say black book, I mean, very specifically the style of magical journaling that you outline in Weaving mm -hmm. Fate, mm -hmm. um, where you're basically bringing the future that you desire into the current present and mm -hmm. writing journal entries. Mm -hmm. Um, you outline an entire, you know, road opening and, um, uh, basically kind of like a spirit creation almost mm -hmm. um, ritual for those black books. And I find that to be really interesting because it's almost as if, you know, you, you keep the, um, the charm bag, which is, mm -hmm. you know, um, kind of how you're structuring that like spirit element. Mm -hmm. um, and then that spirit ultimately kind of gains life as you work with the black book. Mm -hmm. um, could you say more about that? So I don't remember. I just, I have no guess when I really kind of began thinking about, it was after I began making jewelry um, the first time, because I stopped for a long time after the, but it was somewhere in that process that I kind of went, okay, when I'm making talismanic things, uh, there's a moment where I begin interacting with them as if they're creatures. Um, not as if it's an object that has power, but as if it is a person that I know that has power and, and that I have a relationship with. Um, and so that's what informs that whole process. Um, and so the thing that to me is so, yeah, it's funny. I went and looked at it again because I haven't, I haven't uh, really dove into Weaving Fate uh, since I wrote it. So I kind of went and dug in because it's been a while since I've talked to anybody about it. Um, and was like, oh yeah, this is like, I see, I see. I, it's, it's funny because it's like, you kind of know what's in there, but you don't really see the language there. And I liked the language that I'm going to throw in the allies there that we used there. Um, because I thought it did a good job of actually kind of getting that across. And you never really know, you know, you do your best. But I thought in retrospect, like, yeah, that worked pretty well. Um, To me, kind of this whole thing hinges on this idea of animism, which is the idea that we are not only not alone as kind of sentient beings in the universe, but that we are surrounded in a universe that is essentially a sentient being that is filled with sentient beings. Um, and that in my perspective, magic works best if it's viewed from that lens that we're working with uh, everything that's around us. And so this process of kind of consecrating the road opening charm and consecrating the pen is both a way of telling yourself, your kind of deep mind, um, 
that this is an important thing that you're doing and that it should pay attention and that this is a powerful thing that you're doing. Um, and that it's a, it's an involved kind of piece of concentration. Um, so it does that, but it also kind of tells, well, you know, in my term, the field, everything that you're, that is around you, like, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to engage with all of this through this medium. Um, and so there's a way that it's, you know, it's like a, it's a reminder to yourself, like, we're dealing with other things. We're dealing with the world as it is. We're dealing with uh, the fact that there are powers other than us within that world. Um, we're dealing with the idea that that world is friendly, um, mm -hmm. that it would be interested in what we are interested in potentially. Um, yeah, and so that, there's, there's all of those layers to that process and that's really why it's set up that way. Um, so that when you actually go to pick the thing up and actually start writing these, these journal entries, um, the process is already kind of laden with meaning to you. We've kind of done that process that, uh, copying out those spells and, you know, from your, your, your teacher back in Sweden in 1830 or whatever, um, <laughs> would have done. We've, we've, we've recreated a version of that experience, um, uh, where this thing has way more meaning uh, than the fact that we ordered, you know, a ten dollar journal off Amazon. Uh, yeah, I think that that's actually something you kind of hit on the head. This idea that you are signaling to the world around you, um, and all of the anything that may be listening in, that these are your intentions. Um, mm. and that is something that I always really struggled with, if I'm being frank, um, with, uh, cere more ceremonial magic. Um, I find that a lot of perhaps, perhaps it just happens to be bad luck in who I have met, <laughs> um, <laughs> who is a ceremonial practitioner, but they are often less on the like animist side of things, or mm -hmm. at least less openly on the more animist belief. Um, and so spirit summonings or trapping or something like that can feel very um, transactional mm -hmm. in a way. Whereas I feel like with other practices, certainly with, you know, the black book as written in Weaving Fate, you know, you are, you give instructions to feed the, the book and the and the charm um you know the the road opening the ritual is kind mm -hmm. of a huge part of that and then also you know lighting a candle once a week or um doing some of those other almost I don't want to say worshipful but like it's like you have a date with your black book right yeah um, totally where you kind of feed it um yeah. and maybe it's just the kind of thing where like it's in these old grimoires, perhaps that was such an of course, aha, like we don't need to write this part down. Um, right. Or, you know, certain people just didn't feel the need to do that. Um, and I, I guess I'm just saying that I really appreciate that. It tends to, it tends to work better with my like 
heathen, like dirt heathen worldview. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's one of the things that's kind of um, I was trying to think of uh, I had something in my head that I just lost, but that just happens. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if that was the big shift that I had, and that happened for me when I I'd been really kind of heading further and further in the direction towards what I do now, magically, and that's what happened when I found uh, Jan Fries. Uh, mm -hmm. Visual magic was like, oh, this guy's actually talking about the world in a way that completely makes sense to me. Jan Fries was also a magical route for me. Yeah, I mean, he was the dude that like tripped me. Like I was, I could make chaos magic stuff work. Uh, as it was, you know, kind of generally perceived in the 80s, early 90s. Um, I could do a lot of stuff that worked. I could do different kind of witchy stuff that worked. Um, but I didn't have, I would say that I, I hadn't given myself complete permission to really go with what I kind of knew, but I was still not, I just wasn't solid in it. And as soon as I started reading that book, I was like, okay, done with anything that does not make sense. And I'm going whole hog. Uh, and he was, I think, the really the thing that threw me straight into this kind of, though I didn't have the word for it at that time, kind of animist viewpoint. Because I'm like, no, I always talk to these things. Um, but I don't necessarily tell people that I do. Um, uh, I would talk to my sigils. I would talk to my candles. I would talk to... Yeah, you know, the animals like Dr. Doolittle. Um, uh, and I think it was that point that really got everything started to work in a much more organic way. And things stopped being nearly as weird. Like there was no longer, it like removed all of this. It kind of, I think it was like, it's, it's like, um, it's the difference between having some of a language and being able to communicate with the people that speak that language, but they kind of, you know, smile and nod at you a little bit. Like, I think he wants to know where he can go to the bathroom and I can help him out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, to, okay, we got you brother, you know, <laughs> uh, right. we totally know what you're saying and what your criteria are uh, and what you're trying to do. And that was also the place where I started getting feedback. That's where I started really having a sense that not just our things around me, but things are actually willing to communicate to me to some degree. And I'm not, I'm not the clearest channel ever on that, but, um, that was the stuff that opened the, the door for me to be able to kind of get information going, okay, I have this idea for a book and to know that I'm being kind of guided in particular directions from the allies. And I know that there's a lot of my experience within the stuff, but a lot of that kind of pressure to put the books in particular frameworks or to talk about certain things comes from them. And they'll let me know when I'm too far off track, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I was thinking, have you read um, Standing and Not Falling by Lee Morgan? Oh, that has been recommended to me, but I have not yet read it. It's kind of interesting because I was thinking, because, you know, we, so if we think, if we're thinking about these kind of magical books, we're thinking about spell books, we're thinking about how-to books, we're thinking about the grimoires and the black books, and then we're thinking about the black book as the Weaving Fate black book. Um, Lee has this great thing in the beginning of 
that book, which I really recommend. It's a very different book on magic than most, but um, where he says like, there's a thing that happens for magicians where you kind of know that it works, but your belief is not really solid yet. Uh, like it's a little iffy. Um, and so their suggestion is that you begin to record everything you can possibly think of that has kind of shown you that it works. So mm -hmm. every spell you did, every ritual you did, the fact that you got that vibe while you were doing that one ritual 10 years ago, you write it all <laughs> into one book. Uh, that is really this attempt to kind of like override that skeptic uh, that is running counter to your actual experience. This is not to convince yourself that it's work. It's to get yourself to stop trying to convince yourself that it doesn't if that makes sense. Yes. So this is actually something, um, and I'm going to ask you about this as well, but I keep black books, you know, in your style for a specific kind of working where you're doing the journaling, but I also keep a personal black book where I just write down everything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, every working that I do, um, I work through it there. Um, and I've been really experimenting with it over the last, well, I mean, really since 2020, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. even 2019, um, consecrating the black book. And then, um, I have an index where I write down, you know, I, I numbered all the pages. I have an index where I write down, this is what I did on th these pages and I always leave at least half a page um, after recording, you know, the spell, the steps, everything that I did to come back and report results. Mm -hmm. um, so that might be, say I did a spell for love and um, at the coffee shop two months later, like I felt a connect, a really strong connection with someone, mm -hmm. you know, then I would want to write that in there mm -hmm. um, just so that you can kind of capture all of that, but then also find it later. Mm -hmm. um, because let me tell you, I've been practicing magic long enough to have many grim personal grimoires and flipping through them for something I did 10, 15 years ago is a nightmare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Like it just doesn't, um, it's really hard to find stuff. Um, and it's also something that I recommend students do as well. You know, don't mm -hmm. just, as much as you think that the experience was transcendent or that you will remember it forever. Um, if there are very specific things that you want to remember, please write them down because yeah. that's a way of getting our brain to make it real. And, you know, that's one of the things that I would say is interesting is I don't keep journals. I was going I to ask journals, you. <laughs> but I burn them. Oh, uh, okay. Because, mostly because I've moved so much. Um, there was a point where I had this whole stack. I had, you know, a foot and a half of shelf space. And I was going to move across the country in a backpack and a suitcase. And it's like, can't do that with that. So. I'm in a house with a fireplace, so let's take a look at it and let it go. But I'm a big one of just writing it all down, even if you don't intend to keep it. Because for me, the, and for most people, I know the process of physically writing it down absolutely locks it into your memory much better. Um, but yeah, I, I am not a much of a magical journaler anymore. To me, it's very much a, 
most things have moved into the realm of being daily practice or not. It's rare that I do anything large. Mm -hmm. um, I'm much more personally focused on uh, some of the stuff that's in Weaving Fade and, and a lot of the stuff that's in Changeling is close, is, is, it, is I would say subject matter closer, which is really trying to, like everybody else, I have a lot of stuff from my past, from my childhood, from all that stuff. Um, and using magic to work through that stuff. Um, my intention is to, you know, exit this place in much better shape than I am today, or I'm already in much better shape than I was 20 years ago. But, uh, you know, kind of that whole process to me is the main thing that I use stuff, this stuff for. Um, and so there's not as much that I could say that that I did worked in any specific way. Uh, it's more that are the practices that I keep returning to moving me in the proper direction overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that there's definitely a point where you have daily practice where you don't necessarily need to write it down. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just, this becomes a part of what you do for me. That is lighting a candle most days, right? <laughs> like mm -hmm. I don't need to record that anywhere. It mm -hmm. just is a part of me tapping into that magic. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I was, I was trying to think about how to, there's stuff that, you know, the black book itself, and this is again, we have to keep, because I brought up the Swedish black books, we have to keep separating this out. The black book from Weaving Fate. <laughs> um, yeah. Is really this interesting, it's a really interesting creature, I think. And, and I, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on some of this stuff, because to me, it's one of those magical practices that does something specific, at least for me and for a bunch of people that I've known, that is other than what we started it for. Um, mm. That it does this thing of showing up. It shows me so much of where maybe my thinking is off, where my perceptions are off. It really makes me kind of look at the things that I think I want um, as a really kind of organic process. It's like that there's not really anything that I've done to like make that the focus of it. It's just become very much a part of the process. Like I, when I write, it's like, there's this really interesting thing that I can kind of go really deep into an entry. Um, and instead of necessarily having that exact thing manifest, something will happen in you know, the week, days or weeks afterwards that shows me what that, what that thing I wanted so much was about. Have you had anything like that? Yeah, I think it's interesting because um, it's almost like a give and take. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, and I haven't been working with your style of working with the Black Book mm -hmm. for long enough to have super long-term results. Um, mm -hmm. But I will, I do notice that 
in writing things down, it does help me clarify, oh, I actually, I thought I wanted that for this reason, but I actually want it for another reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes I think also the spirit that you're communicating with, like the actual book's spirit kind mm -hmm. of recognizes that faster than you do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we'll have this other thing that is what you actually wanted. <laughs> I, I have had this experience a lot. And that is, I think, the thing that really convinced me of the existence of the allies. Um, right. As something beyond just my mind liking that story. Um, yeah. Was it, it's one of the things that I think is really interesting because it's, is that I've had a few people who have brought it up to me before I really got it. And they said, one of the best things, if you want to kind of know yourself is to do practical magic is to do results magic about your daily life, because it is incredibly revelatory and exposing. <laughs> you go, oh no, that is exactly what I asked for. It is so not what I want. Um, <laughs> yes, <know>? absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that there's that aspect of it. And then there's also the, um, mm, I think my best, the best word I have to describe the relationship between like a black book spirit and myself is, um, they're a conspirator. Mm -hmm. Like they are working with you, um, to get something to happen. And it feels very secretive. Um, you know, I, I know that I think a lot of magic, um, at least in talking to a lot of people about it, a lot of times people are kind of ashamed of what they want. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, I'm going to do this magic about it and I don't want to tell other people what I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so in that way, the black book then becomes this really intense confidant. Right. Of like, these are deep things that I desire and I'm sharing that with this black book. Um, and yeah, it's a really, it can be a very slow process. It can be a very strange process. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm working with professional vulva, um, Kari Toring. Um, she's my mentor, um, in the vulva stuff tradition. Um, and we were just having a conversation the other day about how when you start in this tradition, you know, you're expecting big things, mm -hmm. right? You're expecting huge changes because a lot of, I don't know, I feel like a lot of, you know, just literature, like not magical like non not like occult nonfiction, but just like literature mm -hmm. sort of makes magic feel this way. And then there's this sense of, I need to have a very complicated ritual or, you know, it's not good enough or I'm not paying enough respect or I'm not, um, I'm not enough of a serious practitioner. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Volva Stav, it's really just like, I am working within my own body, um, within my space. And so much of the actual work of the tradition is done in the unconscious realm. It's mm -hmm. dreamscapes. It's these very subtle kind of threads that come together. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, after two years of working with her, I feel like a totally different person. 
mm-hmm. like a better person. <laughs> I, I like who <laughs> I am now. Um, but a totally different person. And I can't name one moment where that shifted, where right. that happened. Yeah, that's a, that's a big thing, I think. Yeah, and it really, that's what working with a Black book feels like to me. So I'm even hesitant to say like, okay, this is, you know, how it works. And this is how I've noticed it working. It's more like, okay, something is operating. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, it's even like written, it's like in the blank spaces between letters sometimes, I swear. Like it's right. not, it's, it's not obvious what the results will be until suddenly right. it's very obvious. Right. And it's, it's funny. It's uh, I get a lot. I've had a lot of communication with people who are very, um, I would say, hype, super organized, and they want to bring that into that work. And I personally am not, so I don't have much I can tell them about that, except that it seems to be something that almost has to be let go to really get what you want, what you might want out of it. Um, Because it's not just, it's not... um, It can, it can read like it's a great way to kind of step-by-step step yourself into some different version of your reality. And then there's a way that that's true, but it's more like feeling into what's possible um, and then letting that knowledge change your life. Um, yeah. Is how I would say it. And so it's, you know, and so for people listening, I mean, I would say that the biggest thing is to realize, and this is something that's talked about really heavily in the book and then heavily in Changeling too, but um, a big part of my thinking on all this stuff is that there's a part of us that is really what is us. And different traditions have different names for it. I don't really have one that I use, but, and that's the thing that is like, maybe we could say it's kind of like the watcher that is watching our life and it's watching us think and it's watching us have emotional responses. Right. But we aren't those things. We're something that's a level behind that. Um, and that part of us that does have this emotional stuff and does have this thinking stuff, um, also has a lot of tendency towards confusion in for story building. Cause that's the story building part of our consciousness. Um, that doesn't tend to work great for most people (laughs) Uh, if the goal is to have a really good life, (laughs) you know, because we pick stuff up that's cultural, we pick it up that's personal, we pick stuff up from the media that we follow, we pick it up from our families more than anywhere else, churches, religions, you know. Um, And so part of the Black book is to really begin to take control of that narrative and change it to if you were even in the day, this is one of the things I tell people about is that, you know, you could begin writing about what a really good day would be like, not an mm-hmm. amazing day, not the best day you've ever had, but just like, what if, if most of your days are not super great, what are the little things that might happen that would make them much better? You know, maybe you do go to the cafe and maybe it has nothing to do with a romance or a new best friend, but somebody interacts with you in a way that's not usual um, and that makes you feel much better about your day. That's a really good thing to work for. 
because that changes the entirety of a day. And by that process of going, these things could happen. Um, and here's a story about them. Here's some stories about them. There's a way that it seems to open up our consciousness to the fact that these things can happen, that they do happen and we simply don't notice them. Um, and so it begins to change our internal narrative, which then of course begins to change how we walk in the world, which then begins to change the actual uh, experiences that we have. And then begins to perhaps at some point really get us to question uh, how invested we are with narrative about ourselves. Uh, you know, it's an interesting chain there, but that's something that I see a lot of. Yeah, I think um, one thing to share for people who are perfectionists, um, because I am a, I'm on the path of recovery from perfectionism, but I am not there. <laughs> um, I think that the fewer rules you can place on yourself, the more challenging something can feel. And that's a space for growth, right? So mm -hmm. if you start a black book from a place of, I need to write it in this every single day, this is going to be, you know, like my, my morning pages practice, you know, every single day <laughs> is going to be, um, I'm going to light a candle and I'm going to make this specific cup of tea and I'm going to, you know, like call on the spirit and everything. You're going to get writer's block. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because you're yeah. making it this incredibly structured thing where part of the magic is in allowing it to rest. Mm -hmm. um, part of it is in how long it's going to take to get past your conscious thinking mind and into um, that space where it is how you're showing up in the world, where it is like how you're walking in the world and then that in turn changing things around you. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess this is something that I have been challenging myself with um, because again, like attempting to recover from perfectionism um, that is deeply ingrained, um, doing things like not having a daily routine. Yeah. Just not, you know, okay, every day can look different and mm -hmm. I'm meeting the needs of my body in this day. Mm -hmm. um, I think that is also particularly informed by the fact that I deal with chronic illness too. Mm -hmm. So like anytime you have a chronic illness or are dealing with oppression or something, you're going to be kind of constantly coming up against that, like the limitations in the moment mm -hmm. um, versus the perfect ritual that you had constructed yes. for yourself um, and that you thought that you would be able to show up to every day because you were a machine. Oh yeah, <laughs> right? totally. We're not machines here. We're demechanizing. Um, yeah. So I think that that's really important. And then oh, there was another thing I wanted to talk about with journaling specifically. So I did mention how I have a process um, for my specific you know, personal grimoire, um, which is keeping track of um, exactly the steps that I took and um, the results that I achieve. Um, but the black book is different 
it's in a completely different notebook. Um, yeah. The black book a lot is much more flexible and much stranger. <laughs> I find it, I find it that for sure. One of the things that I, that uh, has become really interesting to me is even though I, I, I put them in the book for so people could know that if you wrote something that really didn't suit you, you could get rid of it. I don't do that. Um, I leave it all in there. Uh, and so I do, I go down these really weird digressions in those books where I go like, oh, this is this whole other vision of my life. Um, and this is what I do. This is where I live. This is who I know. This is how I spend my days. And I might have 50 entries <laughs> that are right. tied into that thing. And then that just kind of falls away because what happens is that, again, that revelatory piece where what actually comes from that is I begin to see it's, it's again, it's like that allied spirit begins to go, Oh, okay. Like this. And you go, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> uh, and if you do go back, I often go, you know, that day that I had feels like these 10 entries that I wrote. Like it's yeah. this feeling tone is really intense. You go, that is what I was getting at and that however we want to view it, the field or the allies or the deep mind understood. Uh, uh, and, and you go, oh, I totally changed my world in that way. Even though the specific material pieces may not be the same. And that's why I kind of push so hard to kind of go, go with the feeling here and don't worry too much about it. Um, about how dead on you get it. Because again, it's really easy to kind of cramp up to use freeze terms, right? Is you really want to avoid that cramp thing. And so do whatever it takes to be easy with all of this stuff. Uh, which doesn't mean don't be diligent. But again, you're not a machine. Uh, right. The mind is very fluid. Um, things take time. Uh, <laughs> somebody wrote me a really great thing uh, a few months ago and said, uh, for being in a number of your books that uh, this might be a six month process or a year process because uh, that's mm -hmm. not how we're kind of culturally set up that's not how the YouTube Instagram version goes it's like oh I did this thing and everything's awesome now uh, versus I did this thing consistently for a year and things are a lot better now <laughs> right yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's interesting because I feel like at the one on the one hand, like the black book practice is um really close to what some other people may call manifesting. Mm -hmm. Um, like manifesting magic. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it feels a lot more subtle. Um, like I know that a lot of people, or at least a lot of capital D discourse that I've seen mm -hmm. on manifesting um particularly from more of a new age perspective is that manifesting is trying to get a specific thing you know you need five thousand dollars you need like ten thousand dollars you need a vacation home in morocco you need like all of these mm -hmm. very specific and kind of grandiose things that you can prove yes this thing that i was doing worked right um and I do think that the black book, um, for lack of a better word, is a very good way of manifesting. 
like it will manifest changes in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have a ton of control over what those changes are. And they're probably going to be for the better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it kind of is in this, this sort of conversation. It's very much not that um, uh, new age capitalist sort of, I'm going to get X thing kind of way of, forcing the magic to bend into your will right and i think it's yeah i mean that's i think what i really love about the process is that it is this it's the two things one is it's really revelatory about my own kind of blind spots um and it opens up a kind of communication that i didn't have before i began doing this kind of work with parts of myself and then with the allies um but that yeah that it really did move me into this thing of like I think that if somebody really did just uh, made a suggestion there, if you really thought about like what good days would look like, if you created a kind of black book practice that really that's all you were doing, nothing crazy, nothing. Yeah. I didn't get on the jet to Morocco necessarily or anything like that. Um, I think you would see really incredible results uh, because it just opened. It's there's, there's all of this stuff is a, I would say that the, the, the field is highly responsive to us. And we live in a particular moment where there has been a ton of work done over a very long period of time to kind of deny that reality. Uh, and so it's work to undo that if you're not, there are people who are naturally wired that they just go, yeah, I don't believe all that crap and they do great. Um, but for most folks, there's, there's some stuff in between. And I think it's a really great process to begin just chipping that stuff away because it is really interesting because it's like I can go into these modes where everything is pure doom, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and you can, you know, I, you can objectively look out and go, yeah, the world is a really harsh place. And a lot of people that uh, have very different ideas of what is acceptable to do as a person have a lot of power. Um, this is true. But there's also another thing that is true, and it's easy to lose sight of. And I think that currently we're in a moment where there's an intentional uh, process running to get people to lose sight of that because there's so much power in going, it could be different. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the other thing that the Black Book is great for is it begins to go like, oh, yeah, so maybe I'm really neurotic and have been kind of an asshole. Um, and... Uh, but if I could actually imagine, not just saying, I'm not going to be an asshole and I'm not going to be as neurotic. Um, but if I actually go through this kind of ritualized process of really imagining myself and seeing myself and recording it, saying, I had this day where I was not an asshole and I was a little less neurotic, where I had the option. Somebody got up in my face, somebody cut me off somewhere where I would normally freak out. Um, you know, if you're tended towards like freaking out in your car and yelling at other people, I would use that as something to write in the black book about is I got cut off by this guy who was a complete maniac and I was chill and I just listened to the radio, continued having my coffee or talking to my girlfriend or whatever, right? Um, it opens the space for those things to be your actual experience. And so it's, a, there's, there's, but it's, and that's the thing that I think you were saying is it's, it's both that and it's this other thing 
which is, I think, the crazy thing about magic versus some of this, like, I think Chowan is the one that always brings up vision boarding uh, as her particular thing, but uh, in a mocking sense. Uh, but uh, it's not this, yeah, this is me in my fancy dress getting on the private jet to go to this fancy place. It's not just that. It doesn't mean you couldn't do it if that was something that you truly wanted. But for most of us, that's not what we truly want. We want something that feels like that. And that's the image that we produce in our mind of what that would be. If I had that kind of money, if I had that kind of life, if my life looked like that, everything would be different. I think that for most people, that is really saying, this is the best I can picture of what a good life would look like. And I think that the black book process is a really good one to figure out what that might really look like for you. Yeah. And I think too, um, there's a way of working with it that um, is very gentle. And I think also it's, I think the effectiveness of it comes really from how do I want to feel rather than what are the things that I want to have or what are the things I want to do? It's mm -hmm. like, how do I want to feel both in my daily life um, during days that are not extraordinary and also during days that are extraordinary? Right. No, I love that. I think that's really right on. So I'm really curious. Um, this has come up in my Patreon community um, a couple of times. And I'm just so curious to hear from the source. Um, we had actually over the winter, um, we organized a like climate change uh, mediation sort of black book circle. Mm -hmm. um, so we all got together over Zoom and we, you know, did some raising of energy and we went through the process together and created um, black books where we were specifically making entries about, you know, how we want the world to be mm -hmm. as we're slowing down climate change. Mm -hmm. What are your views on using the black book as a tool for something outside of just like a singular person? I mean, I am super into it. And it's again, um, I don't know. I know I've talked about it a couple of times that every book that I have has subtext um, mm -hmm. that there's something that's not written that I think is implicit in the book, but I thought if I kind of made it implicit, it would actually have less impact because the people that you make that needed it to be implicit uh, or stated implicitly um, wouldn't necessarily get it anyway. Um, and it's better if somebody kind of comes to that conclusion on their own. I think that that is one of the hugest uses of this. Um, in that I think that part of why we're where we are is because there's been a really consistent narrative about what is possible. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that it's really wrong. Um, mm -hmm. I think that if there are assumptions that have been bred into the way that we run the world um, that are not real, um, that... I think that there's a chunk of people who are absolutely driven to have as much as they can get, but I don't believe that that's the norm. Um, I think that if 
there was a if there had been a sustained kind of open education for the last 40 years about what's going on and what it really means um, that we didn't get derailed into all sorts of kind of special interest discussions on something like climate change, but on lots of other things, um, that people would have come to much different conclusions about what was possible and how you might do it. Um, I don't think that humans are unwilling to sacrifice immediate comfort for uh, long-term sustainability. Um, and so I think that things like the Black Book can allow us to see that world as it is. Um, which is how I've used it in things like that, is going not what is the solution necessarily, but what is that, what is a further step? What would it look like if we were 50% closer to that worldview that would allow that change to occur? And then what might it be like living if I was alive 250 years from now and we were in a different, in a completely different scenario? What would that life look like? Um, now this might lead to something, to someone going, oh, and here's a way that we could get here that people would actually get on board with. But I don't know that that's the important piece. It's the, the important piece to me is being able to see past these kind of monolithic blockages uh, that are theoretically impassable, that you theoretically can't work around, that theoretically no one would accept that. Um, and so if we can actually, and this is true for, working it personally as well. But a big part of this is if you can begin to really have a sense of experiencing that world, I think it opens up the door for that to be a much greater potential. Yeah, I definitely, after this conversation, I definitely feel um, that even more strongly. Um, I think that one of the things that always, um, really bothers me particularly about climate change is how catastrophic um, people who believe, um, scratch that, going back, people who understand that climate change is happening mm -hmm. can have a tendency to read the data and get really catastrophic about it. Mm -hmm. um, I have a friend actually who, um, no, I have several friends actually who never share anything about um, climate change unless there is also some kind of solution mm -hmm. um, or some kind of way of thinking about how the world is going to change um, and how we can continue to survive and live. Mm -hmm. um, and she's even said before, like, Anyone who only shares catastrophic data and um, really like the world will end by 2049 um, is the Fed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like they are a plant, they are trying to get you not to come up with solutions on your own. They are trying to, they are so establishmentarian that they have to believe that this isn't possible or that overcoming this massive issue is not possible. And so, I mean, even if the black book, uh, magically I have never, you know, worked something on the scale of global climate change. It feels very much beyond me personally. Um, I mean, not that I've done, not done like spells for slowing down climate change and stuff like that. That's not what I'm saying. It's more that like, 
how do you how do you see and track results on such a global scale? Um, is something that's hard for me to wrap my brain around. And at the same time, the black book is actually kind of a perfect way of working with that because it's getting you to think creatively about what is actually needed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not, oh, through my magic, I'm going to suck the carbon out of the atmosphere. <laughs> like, right, totally. That's not how it's operating. What is operating is, okay, how am I going to continue to feed my family? Right. Okay. Well, yeah, and, yeah, you find some crazy stuff occasionally that you go like, you know, like it's, I, re- I remember I was in a particularly doomy moment one day when I saw this article about that they've discovered that there's, I can't remember now if it's a yeast or a fungus or whatever, but that they found in the ocean that uh, uh, eats some kinds of plastic. Right. And you go, well, that's very interesting because that suggests that there's possibilities I never thought of. <laughs> that can change right. the nature of some things, right? Um, and uh, and so I think it is, I mean, I think the root idea of any kind of magic or whether even if we're talking about kind of new age manifestation stuff and all that is that it's very clear, however you want to define it, even if you just want to define it on based on, we'll start, we'll give you more information first because it'll make it easier to form the next sentence, but that thoughts are causative. Um in he, for humans, thoughts are causative. Um, they change what we do. They change what we think is possible to do. Uh, this may only be in the sense that then you actually go and pick up the shovel and you go and clean up something with the shovel. But I think that magic deals with the idea that we can communicate with the world that we're in. Um, and it's really the tool that we use to kind of generate that. Uh, and so I think it's very important to see or to have a, have uh, to kind of train ourselves to have the ability to see to the other side of whatever our problems are, whether that's health or something else. It doesn't mean that you ignore it. It doesn't mean that you deny that you're not well or there's issues with the environment or any of that. That's not what I'm talking about whatsoever. But that you hold that idea that this could be different. Um, mm-hmm. I could feel different someday um, in a better way. Uh, we could you know, super volcano would change the climate. Uh, maybe it's not the most pleasant way, but, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, but, you know, so you can go, okay, these things are all, they happen. Things happen. Uh, and I believe that for us, that's one of our, that's, that's the human thing, is that we're the species that has the ability to know that our thoughts can be causative. Uh, I don't think we're really special in any other way. Um, and that, uh, yeah, especially now we're in this really weird time. None of us, well, some of us do. Um, I forget that there are younger people, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> most of us did not grow up in a world where there is so much control of data that the yes. belief that the internet was gonna be making everything free has been proven to not be correct so far. Um, it has meant that there is a vast, vast, vast amount of data control and information control. Uh, and that that stuff changes how we think, whether we want it to or not, um, and whether we're aware of it or not. And so you really do have to, I think, come up with some kind of a practice if you're interested about these kinds of things to uh, to see beyond the all of that stuff. Uh, and to me, one of the best ways to do that is to really kind of, can you actually imagine things being better? And that could be your marriage. That could be your relationship with your kids. 
uh, instead of just saying, I want this to be better, or I'm committed to this being better, and I'm going to try not to get angry. So the most common thing I do is, can you, in your black book, really get fully into the experience of the things that set you off in your family? Don't. Or the places where you don't show up, you do. Because the brain, the mind doesn't really know that what you wrote hasn't happened. That writing process solidifies something. So you've added an option to the book that may not have existed before. And the more that we can kind of do that on all levels, I think we end up in a very different world. Yeah. So I'm going to wind us down. Mm -hmm. Um, This has been an incredible conversation. I love being able to have just like really deep conversations with people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's been an absolute pleasure to go and really drill down on this practice, what it means, how it operates, those kinds of things. Um, Is there anything that you have not already talked about that you would like to? I don't think so. I mean, I think that, um, I think that that's, that's a good chunk. Um, and just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm super, super thankful that you had me on and, and uh, it's an honor and I totally appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's truly an honor for me as well to just be able to speak with you. Um, so if you're interested in checking out Aiden's books, um, I am going to be linking them in the show notes. Um, you know, all the goodies of where to find him, his work, his books, et cetera, will all be there. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Aiden. Thank you, Siri. Did you know that I wrote a book with Cassandra Snow? It's true. Lessons from the Empress is coming out October 1st, 2022 from Wiser Books. Lessons from the Empress is a tarot workbook for creativity and self-care. Self-expression and self-exploration are essential for living a fulfilling life, and the tarot allows for an incredible opportunity for creative exploration. Using the Empress, a symbol of creation and abundance, as a metaphor for the journey, Lessons from the Empress takes readers on a journey through the tarot using easy-to-follow magical rituals, tarot spreads, and creativity exercises in a way that will empower you to embrace your true self and express that self to the world. You can pre-order the book anywhere books are sold, and just to make things easy, I've included a link to IndieBound in the show notes. Happy reading! so much for listening to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm so honored to share these practices, conversations, and thoughts with you. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider supporting it on Patreon. The Patreon is designed as a learning and sharing space for fellow inclusive heathens to grow their practices. Every month we have a book club meeting, I share research notes, and episodes without the ads. If you would like to join, you can do so at patreon.com slash heathensjourneypod. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, keep it weird. Thank you.